This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. That was good. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. This is Jesus talking. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those that love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to, to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend money, lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you will get back. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Give God a hand for the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to have you. I'm excited about uh, topping the year off with you with a brand new series called Truths of a Skeptic. Uh, I, I don't know how long it's going to go, but just my heart's full and I want to download the fullness and hopefully you enjoy it and you learn some stuff out of it. Let me tell you how I landed on this and then what this is going to look like for us practically as a house and a church. I grew up with God in my home. If you knew, you don't know my testimony. From the time I can remember, it was church, 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 church. We were in church all the time. I don't think I remember much outside of church. It was just who our family was. It was a big part of our lives. God, Jesus, Bible, church, uh, revivals, all the spiritual words that you hear going on. And so I just took things for granted because it's what mom taught me. It's what dad taught me. And uh, surely they wouldn't lie to me. Uh, you know. So I just, by osmosis, just believed stuff. It wasn't until I really hit college, this was in 1983 when I graduated high school, and I started at Georgia Southern College, now Georgia Southern University. And it was at that moment that I had this epiphany of an awakening that not everybody believed in God because I was so sheltered by church people, church people, church people. All my friends were mainly church people. My dad was a pastor. I, I would basically go to high school. High school would end, and I, if I wasn't playing a sport, I would immediately go to the church, and I just lived there. And so I didn't know all about what was transpiring in the world. I had heard about some, you know, that of course they're sinners, but I really wasn't part of the camp of trying to ever explain God. I never had to explain God. I just was told what to believe, told what the Bible is, and then just believe it because that's the way it is. And you end up believing what your church believes because that's how you're raised. And then you grow up. Now I'm 19 going off to college and realize that many people didn't believe what my church believed. And I was told. And I didn't even know what I believed because I was bumping into people that knew a lot more about evolution than creation. 
And so I started getting real nervous, like, did God really create the world? Did he not? Is it six, seven literal days? Is it not? Is it eons? Is it fake? Is it real? And so I thought, well, if I'm going to hang in this thing with God, I at least would like to know what I believe. And so it just sent me on a deep study of what do I believe about the Bible? What do I believe about God? Uh, did he really create it? Did he not? I wanted to be able to debate it. I wanted to be able to stand in a room and go, if this is what I believe, then I want to believe it. And I want to hold strong to it and be able to explain it. So I kind of went into this weird thing of I just wanted to be able to explain the Bible. If I if I'm, say I'm a Christian... I want to know why do people suffer? Why do babies die? Why does God permit evil? All the things that I was getting bombarded with from people who weren't saved. And so it was a very difficult from my 20s trying to balance all these things out about the truths. And when I say truths, um, I'm talking about the Bible. Uh, and I had to land on that. Do I or don't I believe the Bible is the infallible and errant word of God? Because there were many people who didn't. There were people that believed it was just a good book. You can't really bank on it. It's definitely not the words of God. It's the words of man. And if you want to use it for devotion, great. However, and I, could, I, I just couldn't fight those fights. I was, I was too ignorant to fight them. I didn't have enough knowledge. So I went to graduate school. And in graduate school, I signed up for religion, a religion course. And I studied the religions of the world. I studied Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism. Uh, I studied communism, Marxisms, all the isms of isms, uh, <laughs> trying to be smarter. I think I just um, was dumber by the end of it. But uh, I studied Islam and read the Quran and tried to balance it all out and uh, landed on Christianity. And I, I wasn't really ever teetering on not being a Christian. I just realized that there's a lot of other people out there trying to get to obviously what they thought is the same God as my God. And then Christianity is like, no, your God's different than mine. And then it gets real weird. Like they're, they're seeking another God, but it's the real God. And then it feels really weird if you're a Christian because we're pretty arrogant. We're like, no, we are the way. We're the only way. There is no other way. rest of you are just stupid. And, uh, you know, our God is the God. And so the problem with that is if you talk to other people who are raised Buddhist or Hindu or Islam, whatever ism they have... Uh, they believe just as emphatically that they're right as you believe you're right. And that's what's really weird. So then I found myself in a mix that they were all right. This group is right. They're just trying to get to their God. This group is right, trying to get to their God. I'm right. I'm trying to get to my God. And we all have different ways. Some people get to their God by beating their flesh and flogging themselves and bleeding everywhere. Other people get to God by denying themselves food and getting off into a monastery and a monk and not eating for days and weeks on end, trying to purify their soul. Other people get with Mother Earth and read the stars and smoke doobies and talk to trees and... And they get to God that way. Or you take LSD and everybody gets to God on that trip. You know, so, so everybody was trying to get to God. And here's little Mark, 26 years old, trying to figure it out. I'm a Christian. I was told to be a Christian. It's the only way, but it doesn't seem like the only way. And so I was, you know, kind of filling all this out. The thing that did kind of land strong to me, I'm not saying it's right, but it, it was a thought is that I found that most other religions, humans were trying to become God. We were trying to get holy enough, uh, religious enough, and e even one religion teaches that you, you're on a path to becoming God, and when you die, you come back you know, as Madonna, then you die, and if you did bad, you come back as a cat, and then if you did better, you come back as a llama. And you just keep coming back as stuff until you perfect yourself, and then you're a God. That seems cool. It just scares me because I'm thinking, based on mine, man, I'm coming back as a duckbill platypus. Don't want to be that, you know, because I got some bad past here. I don't want to be the duckbill platypus. So I kind of like the concept of you die once and then eternity, and that's, that's the Christian. You die once, you go to eternity. And I played around, I didn't play around with it, but I studied it and thought it through. And, but what surprised me was. To my knowledge, I'm not saying there's not more religions today because there's a lot of weird things out there now. But, but what surprised me about Christianity is it wasn't us trying to become God. It was God becoming us. And that was different than Greek mythology where we humans are trying to attain God's status. But the weird thing about Christianity is God became a human 
And that seemingly was very distinct from all other religions, that God would become a human rather than humans trying to become God. And that was appealing to me, that any God who could sit on a throne and rule all other gods that would become one of us, and we're some messed up folk, deserved to be studied. And so I went on years to study the Bible. And, um, and so I landed on this because in reading the Bible, there's just some weird stuff in it. And I put of a skeptic because there's things I would read and think there's no way that could be possible. That's impossible. This is dumb. I even heard some of you when Ryan was reading, somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek, and I heard people go, ooh. Right? Like it reads good. I just don't know if I want to live it. I don't know if I want to do good to people who, I just don't like that scripture. So what we have today when you talk about truth is, is truth is really subjective now. Truth is no longer absolute morality. Truth is whatever you make it to be. And then we just tag God in it to be religious because if we put God in our life, psychologically it eases the God conscious in all of us while truth goes out the door. And now truth is, I'm not really skeptical anymore of truth because it's just my truth. In other words, I only believe what makes sense to me. I never want to believe something that doesn't make sense. So now the Bible, and I said truth, the Bible is pushed out the door while Christianity moves more toward experiential Christianity. Meaning I love Jesus, I love God, but I live a code that is not absolute. And the code I live is me. I do me. You do you. I do me. So if I'm gay, leave me alone. I'm happy gay. If I'm a lesbian, I'm a happy lesbian. Leave me alone. If I'm transgender, if whatever I am, you do you. I'm good with you. Let me do me. We all love God. Jesus loves us all. Let's live happily ever after. And that's kind of the theology of American Christianity today. It's very popular. But what's happened is we've, we've moved absolute truth out of the way. Now, anytime you, you move moral, absolute truth out of the way, you get chaos. You get total chaos because people just start believing whatever they want to believe in the name of God or, or tag in the name of Jesus. Prophets can prophesy whatever and then say, and thus saith the Lord. As long as I can get you to question absolute truth, I've got you wherever I need you to get. So that now I can say things, well, the Bible's so archaic, it is thousands of years old, and Paul really didn't know what he was talking about when he wrote about homosexuals and lesbians because it was such a long time ago. And now based on all of our psychology and psychiatry and the understanding of the human mind and the framework of human mentality and where we are in environmental change versus internalized uh, being, uh, we now don't really need Paul because we kind of know our own thing. Knowledge has now taken over and the Bible now just becomes a devotion book. So anytime the Bible becomes a devotional book, we're in trouble. Because anything can be used for devotion. And by devotion, I mean to make you a better you, a better self-reflection of you. Uh, anything can do that in devotion. Devotion just simply means you kind of are lying into it, you're kind of tuned into it. But the Bible has to be more than a book of devotion. The Bible, and watch, I don't mean this negative or rude, it's just a thought. The Bible is either the absolute morality and purpose and mind of God or it's nothing. It's not even for debate, but we do debate it. I feel like if you wanted to talk about it, I could talk about it. And we can argue, aren't there errors in it and all the stuff that we do. But through all my years of studying... I did land on, through all of it, that the Bible is the absolute, 100% mind, will, and purpose of God downloaded to humans for other humans that we could know the mind, will, and purposes of God. And even when you don't like it, deal with it because it's God and you're a human. And so when we, when we play with it, it becomes very dangerous. Because when I play with it, it's going to do one of two things. It will either be pushed off as nothing more than just, you know, as I said, devotion, or it will be devoted to that this is the mind of God. And what it will be is you have to choose what it is for you. Yes. Now, if you just choose devotion, go live you, I'll, I'll save you some problems. Get out of church, go do you, live you, you're in the way. Yes. 
But if you hold to that it is the absolute truth of God, then it's worth fighting for. It's worth losing your head over. It's worth being thrown in jail for, persecuted for. It's why people in China are literally sobbing in tears when we ship Bibles over secretly and give them to them because they really believe that the Bible that we so have on every shelf in America is the mind, the will, and the purpose of the Heavenly Father downloaded to human beings where we might know the purposes of the Heavenly Father and come into a living relationship with Him. Now, as a Christian, you have to decide. You have to pick where you want to land. I have picked, I want to land on the side that it's absolute moral truth. It, it is what it is, whether I like it or not. And so that's what I fight for. I'm not saying I'm right, but that's what I'm fighting for. I'm holding on to it from, from what I've researched in my own thinking that it is the absolute moral truth. Now, here's what it does for us, absolute moral truth. It lets us know who's right and who's wrong. Without it, nobody's right or wrong. You're your own rightness and your own wrongness. If I have no absolute truth, you're right within your own reasoning. And so I can never say, well, Shiloh, you're wrong. Because Shiloh says, I'm not wrong, I'm right. Because in my own reasoning and logic, I'm right. So, any, so anytime I can push this away, there is no black or white anymore. It's just a free-for-all, que sera, sera. But once you land on it's the truth, Amos chapter 7 will say that the Word of God is a plumb line. Now to understand a plumb line, you have to understand maybe carpentry, basic carpentry 101. A plumb line determines a true 90 degree angle, what is straight up and down. Amos will say that the Word of the Lord, Amos chapter 7, the Word of the Lord is a plumb line. He said, I see a plumb line in the hand. And what the Word of God does as truth, as the Bible, is it shows us the straight up and down mind of God. It doesn't mean it will agree with my mind because His ways are different, His mind is different. But what the Bible is, it shows me the mind of God. And then I get to determine, do I pull myself to it or do I reject it? Because it's never going to move. So I either get to come to it and line my life up with it or I reject it and go. That's why Jesus sounds rude, but Jesus said to us, either be hot or cold, don't be in the way. In other words, don't... Do, I got a bad arm on that one. In other words, don't do this. Either... Or just go do you. Stop trying to appease me by getting close to the plumb line. Either get on it or go do you. Jesus said that. Be hot, be cold, don't get in the middle. Figure it out. So as we walk through 2021, you're going to have to determine, do you or don't you believe the Bible is the plumb line of God? Now here's where it gets weird. Let me tell you why it's important. Years ago, uh, I, I, when I first married Robin, I was a cheapskate. Come on, children. Amen. Yeah, there. she didn't even know I was talking about. I was kind of cheap. I was a preacher, right? And I was, you know, preachers are broke. And I definitely wasn't out there taking revival offerings up. So I was doing the best I could do. She was a stay-at-home mom. I'm busting hump to try to make a living for us. So I was kind of a cheapo. Like, don't spend a lot of money. Don't do that. That costs too much. <laughs> Just all the time doing that. And so anytime we had a project around the house, I was too cheap to call people. Like, I know if the washing machine breaks, I'm not paying $85 for a service call to tell me it's broken. I already know it's broken. Come fix it. Will that be $85 to come out and tell you it's broken? I already know it's broken, right? So you just live with a broken dryer because you're a cheapskate. Well, Robin asked me one time that she wanted to do wallpaper. Come on, somebody. Ugh. I'm so glad we left that, and I hear it's coming back. Wallpaper's coming back. God, deliver us from that demon. She wanted wallpaper. Cheapo husband says, well, let me hang it. And so we go. Now, this is pre-YouTube because on YouTube, everybody's a perfectionist, right? Pre-Pinterest, so there was no woman telling me what to do. I just, it was me with a long roll of thing with some German writing and some English writing. And I'm trying to figure out how do you do it? Reading words like, I can snag them, rock them. And I'm like, oh, I can't even read German. Ah. But I had to figure it out. So I unrolled it. I asked some people who had done it before. They told me how to do it. I said, oh, that's easy. I can do it. Just glue it, water it, hang it. How simple can it be? 
So Robin bought it. We bought it all. And I cleaned out the den where we or the kitchen den area where we were doing it. And I thought, all right, I'm going to start in this corner. So I went over the corner and laid it out. And I took off beautiful. Oh, I should have hired myself. It was gorgeous. I thought, dear God, I... Jeez, I might have some kind of woman gene in me, and I didn't even know it. Like, like I'm a pro at this. And I hit the corner. I went this way. I hit the corner. I did all four walls in the most gorgeous pink flowered arrangement. Now, the whole room is pink, so I got pink flowers everywhere. I'm so proud. Robin comes home. I'm like, ooh. And what I did not realize is the pattern was a flowered pattern. And the further from the corner I got, my flowers are going downhill. Oh, yeah. And I can't peel it off now. It's dry. So you walk in. It's like, bang. And it's like, oh. Oh, wow. Why? Anybody want to tell me why? Because I started in the corner thinking it's plum, and the corner's not truly straight up and down. Nobody told me you had to draw the plum line, idiot. You just start in a corner. No. Because why? Visually, the corner is straight up and down, but over a long season of time, you're crooked. It's the same with God. If you don't have a plumb line, you will think you're straight up, but over time, you're cockeyed. And you're like, I don't know why my marriage don't work. Because you're cockeyed. Because you started in a corner and didn't want to do it God's way. And now you're walking around addicted and can't figure out why your life's so bad. It's nobody's fault but your own. Because if the Bible's not a plumb line, good luck figuring it out. Right? So it's kind of where I landed. So as I'm thinking that through for this year, 2021, I thought that what I would do is pick some truths that just are mind-blowing that I would read and go, there's no way that's possible. Can't do it. But if the Bible's what it is, I'm going to believe it anyway, put it into practice, and see if it works. And so I thought I'd just share all of those with you. So let's jump into today. This, the topic I picked that probably blew me away first. It's going to sting, but it's okay. Here's the thought. It's impossible to forget the hurt Abuse, rejection, neglect, abandonment, or suffering that others bring upon us. It's impossible. I wish I could say that by being a Christian, you could forget the abuse done to you. That your uncle molested you, your father did you wrong, your daddy left your mother, your husband cheated on you. The likelihood in this room right now, if you're a human, you fit somewhere in this category. Somebody has either hurt you, abused you, rejected you, neglected you, abandoned you, or you've had suffering based on someone else. Even a one-year-old baby that's born in a home where daddy left is still going to grow up having never really known the pain at the beginning of their life, but because dad ditched out on mom, the kid's raised by a single mother. Now, I wish I could say if you're a Christian, you could forget it. It's impossible to forget Now, because we are human, here's the second thought. You weren't created by God to forget. In other words, in all of God's majesty of making you, and you're brilliantly made, by the way, just mentally that your brain is firing things right now, your heart's beating right now, you're having thoughts while you're listening to me at the same time, while your stomach's saying I'm hungry, while you're thinking how much longer is he going to go, while you're thinking oh my God he's talking right to me, Uh." (laughs) right, like all of it's going through your brain that fast you don't even know but it's just firing, you know, but the one thing God didn't put in you is the ability to forget. You will remember the abuse, the hurt, the neglect, the abandonment, and the pain. Now, because we're human with no ability to forget, we try our best to fix that problem. And the way we fix it is by establishing protocols of safety measures around me. And we build walls around us. We build walls to guard ourselves sexually, emotionally. We put walls up to keep other people from hurting us. 
We have safety mechanisms. Uh, the other ways that we run to help us forget, some people go to the pills and the bottles of addiction, and the pills help you overcome the hurt, and the, the alcohol helps you overcome the abandonment issues, and the pornography helps you overcome the sexualized abuse issues. And as humans, we do that naturally because we can't forget the abuse. We run to things that help stave it off. So for the girl that's been abused by her father, she runs to men and gives her body over sexually because in some weird way, it helps her to forget the abuse of a dad who molested her by giving herself freely to a boy. I'm still in control. So in all of this going on, these walls that we build around ourselves are our way of tricking ourselves that I can never forget it. Oh, watch me try. So the wife who's abused now cannot function sexually because she's got all these walls around her sexually to not be abused anymore. And to the young man whose father left him when he was young, now he fends for himself in his anger and his control issues and because he'll never be abandoned again. And so as a human, we, we call them habits and addictions and we call them safety measures, our safety nets, our happy places, trying to forget. Sometimes it's even religion that we do it. We bring God into it and maybe God will help us forget, but He doesn't. In a weird way, as much as you love the Lord, He still doesn't let you forget. I wish I could forget the pain that people have caused me and the hurt that people have caused me, the abandonment that people have caused me. And I'm unable to forget. It's such a powerful thing. You'd have to be a little older to remember this. But remember, Pink Floyd described it well. All in all, it's just a, another brick in the thong. We don't need no education. You see, even Pink Floyd knew that the little boy Pink was so hurt by life that he would put another brick in his wall. Judging himself, if you play it backwards, which I did in the years of uh, smoking weed, uh, there's a whole story to it. Like, like backwards, go get it. Listen to the whole thing backwards. There's a whole story about the judgment of little pink, old pink, who's now an old man. But his life has all these bricks around him. But everything that happened to him, abandonment, hurt, was just another brick in his wall. And yet we live that way today. We live with other bricks in our wall. Let's bring it home. Let's don't talk about other people. Let's talk about church now. How many people are dysfunctional today? Because religion did them wrong. A preacher did them wrong. A preacher abused them and used them and overworked them and demanded things. Priests molested babies. Uh, pastors cheated with their secretaries. Uh, deacons hurt us. Elders manipulated us. I had to shine their shoes and carry their Bibles and give big offerings. I was told if I didn't do it their way, I was never accepted. I was told that if I was a millionaire, I could be part of a big team of helping lead the church. I was told the things, I was abused, I was abandoned. Christians hurt me. Because I'll tell you one thing Christians are great at. We are great at being part of the abuse, the hurt, the neglect, the abandonment, and the rejection. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. We will gossip about you and call it prayer. We, we will kick you out of the church and say things like, well, you just couldn't get on board with God. We're real spiritual at it. But the reality is, as Christians are sitting in church today, maybe many of us, myself included, are in church today going, what's the use? What's the point of being here? What's the point of being in this place? I've been so hurt. I come in the door guarded. I don't know. I mean, last time I sold my soul to the church, I got hurt. My kids got hurt. My husband got hurt. Probably not me. My wife got hurt. I just, I got all these walls around me. And I just can't ever really let myself go 100% for God again because I don't know if I could ever do that again. I don't know if I could ever risk that again. Because the devil knows you can't forget. So you'll never find true freedom in life or God because He'll always keep people potentially hurting you as the problem. And so what you'll do is, well, you know, I'm not really involved, but I do go, but I keep my guard up because I don't really trust people. Well, I'm married, but I mean, I, I, I don't really trust because my husband, because my wife. I... 
I mean, I do think you should give, but I really don't because I believe preachers just take advantage of money anyway. And so here we sit, and here's the question at hand. If it's impossible to forget your hurt, abuse, rejection, neglect, abandonment, or suffering that others bring on you, then what are you to do? How do we get out of this mess? How do we get out? Chris, would you do me a favor? Run down to my office real quick. Get the red jacket hanging on the wall, uh, on the glass wall. How do we get out of this mess? How do we get to a place where we risk it again? You've been hurt by a husband. How do you risk getting married again? You've been hurt by a preacher. How do you risk getting back in the game again? You've been molested. How do you ever risk sex again? How do you ever risk selling your soul? Last time you did that, you got fired. How do you ever risk any kind of relationship? Your father left you when you were a little kid. You were given up for adoption. Nobody wanted you anyway. So hence the bottle, the pills, the hobbies, the reading, working hard, doing anything you can do to stave off the hurt, to stave off the rejection. You keep yourself busy as long as I can just stay busy, 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 busy. I don't have to worry about it. As long as I just don't watch a certain kind of movie, hear a certain kind of song, hear a certain kind of style, maybe I will never have to deal with the hurt again. You can bring it on. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this, but it just came to my heart. Um, I got so hurt that I thought, well, I've screwed up so bad, there's probably no reason in the world I ever need to be a preacher. I think what I'll do is become a fireman, bail out in windows, and save people. So I figured since I was such a failure, I had hurt God, cheated on my wife, I got hurt by some of my friends, friends that just quit being my friend, I got gossiped about, was told I was gay, told I was sleeping with my best friend's wife, on and on and on and on and on and on by Christian people. And I found in the fire department what I felt like God's people should have been because they didn't care about my crap. They helped me. They loved me. Never talked about me. Gave me money. And in a weird way, Christian people were really judgmental. And, and I, they probably should have been because I, I blew it. So I, I'm, I'm good to take a, a hit or two. But your pastor got so hurt that I thought maybe I'll spend my life being a fireman. And so I signed up the fire department, got my fire degrees, got all my degrees, got my hazmat degrees, got my nice little red jacket that I wore in the fires and when I trained. Because, right, you're a failure, you put the walls up. You don't ever want to be hurt again. So you buy the jackets, you put the stuff on, you play fireman, you quit being who God called you to be, and you become somebody totally different because it's safer that way. This is safe for me. Nobody expects anything out of me. I can cuss, nobody cares. I can get drunk, nobody cares. I have nothing set on my life in this jacket. I can just be me. But that's a lie because the real me is trying to get out and become more like God. But the closed up me that's hurt and rejected is trying to cover it up to be something I'm not anyway. Thinking the whole way I'm going to be happy. And you're never happy. It's set up that way. It's set up that once you take the pill, it feels good, but because it's a world's way, it, it keeps saying more, 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 more. Once you take one beer, it's great. You can cop a buzz. If you've never drank alcohol, you can cop a buzz on one beer. But you keep trying to let that beer be your happy, safe place one turns to four, turns to eight, turns to 12, turns to 24, and before you know it, you're an addict, you've lost your family. Mm. Trying just to stave off the things we cannot forget. So it doesn't always come in bad ways. It sometimes comes in good ways. It sometimes comes that I could do something else with my life, hide the hurt, hide the pain. So I keep this fire jacket hanging in my wall right behind my desk, it hangs there, 
very purposely. It hangs there every, every day when I come to work. It's sitting right behind my desk. And it reminds me that God forgives me. God has a purpose for me. God has a plan for me. And I can never let pain, regret, hurt, suffering, disappointment, abandonment ever keep me from the freedom found in God. So I'm not just preaching a sermon. I'm trying to download what I've had to live and download what I've had to work through. So if you can't get away from it, what do you do? Here it is, first scripture. Don't judge others and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn others or it'll come back on you. And then finally the answer is given to us by Jesus Christ himself. If you ever want to get over the hurt, you won't forget it, but you have to forgive it. You'll never forget what was done to you. And the reason is, is it, it's trying to push you to learn to forgive. Because if you can forget it, you don't have to forgive it. So the reason God designed us as a human not to be able to forget all of the, what was done to me is it's designed to make you run toward forgiveness because it is in forgiveness where you get the revelation to find the freedom to overcome all that. Second scripture. Jesus' prayer, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those that sin against us. That's what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a phrase out of the Lord's Prayer. The weird thing about it is Jesus was intimating it would be prayed daily. Our Father who art in heaven, give us this daily bread. Like it was a prayer you prayed daily, almost intimating that every day you're alive on the planet, there's the possibility for other people to hurt you. It's just the way life is. And I wish I could tell you if you're a Christian, you'll never get hurt. But I'm telling you, man, preachers will hurt you. Bosses will hurt you. Lovers will hurt you. Friends will hurt you. We're not perfect. We're flawed people. And Jesus says you're going to have to learn to forgive those kind of people. I don't want to forgive them. I want them to get what's coming to them. I want to kick them in the crotch and forehead punch them. I hope they get all the crap coming to them because that's what they deserve for doing it to me. And Jesus says, okay, I, got, I get you. I know the pain, Mark. I know how you feel. They beat the tar out of me. I wasn't even guilty. I know exactly what you feel. So let me just share this with you, Mark. And then he gives me another scripture. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father won't forgive you. That's just hurtful. This makes me feel very skeptical because that's the whole thing, the truths of a skeptic. I don't like this. I don't want to deal with this scripture. I want to overread it. I want to take it out of my Bible. I don't like it. I don't like Jesus telling me it's my issue. He says, if. In other words, he's not forcing me to forgive people because that would put him in the category of being an abuser. You've been forced your whole life. You've been taken advantage of your whole life. You've been hurt your whole life. So Jesus in his beauty says, let's start it this way. If, in other words, it's up to you, Mark. I can't make you forgive people. But if you will do it, it's going to connect you to something beyond you. It's going to connect you to the Heavenly Father. See, one of the reasons people cannot ever get to a place of forgiveness is their forgiveness is connected to the abuser rather than connected to the Father. Oh, I cannot forgive that person because they're so horrible. Yeah, check, I wouldn't either. But when forgiveness is toward the Heavenly Father and you understand that the only way I could ever forgive that person is to understand a relationship with Him. So you'll never get to a place to forgive people, pastors and elders and leaders and exes and whoever, until you really start understanding what this Father is to you. And to many people, the Heavenly Father is someone that abandoned them. Well, if he was so good, why did he let me get abused? And if he was so wonderful, why did he let my boss fire me? And if God is so gracious, why did he let my uncle molest me? Explain that one, preacher. Because it's designed to keep you away from the Father. Because if you ever trust the Father, you start finding freedom. The problem is we're hyper-focused on the abuse and the neglect and the abandonment rather than the Father. And anytime you hyper-focus on that, you will never understand forgiveness. It never makes sense. It's stupid. I would never do it. Because what it, watch, 
If I forgive them, it gives them power over my life. And I will never give them power. They took it from me. I'll never give it back freely. So the next scripture. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. And now it tells me something. I'm not to forget the pain done to me. I'm to remember what the Father did for me. It just depends on where I want to put my focus. It it doesn't change anything done to me, but it it moves my focus on rather than remembering the pain that I can't forget, I'm going to remember the Father. And it's it's going to move me to a place of freedom. I know it feels really illogical, right? Like all this is just weird. Final thing, Scripture. The answer to it all is forgiveness. How does Mark Evans get over the hurt, the abuse, the abandonment, the neglect? It's forgiveness. But it's not about forgetting what was done to you. You can't. It's about remembering what was done for you through God. You'll probably never get an apology from the person that molested you. If you do, it's rare. You'll probably never get a call from the ex to say, Oh, I'm so sorry I left you. Uh, Can I come back? You're probably going to say, No, should have never left me anywhere. It does feel good to get a little revenge, right? You do know you're never so spiritual that when you see your ex broken down on the side of the road, you don't think, yeah, I'm good. She deserved it. She deserved it. But it's about remembering what the Father has done. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. It's illogical. So what I'm trying to say is that in this logic of forgiveness... I have to learn how to merge the three entities together. The abuse, neglect, and abandonment with me, the victim, with the Father. And I have to learn how to play into the Father and then, and then allow Him to draw the cord. Because the way we think is, if I watch, if I forgive them, I'm still tethered to them and they have control over me. And I can't do that. I need them to repay and get revenge. But if I come and make my forgiveness this way, Father, I forgive them. And I cut the cord to the hurt. Now the tie to the person is through me via the Father. And I'm no longer tethered to the hurt. It doesn't doesn't define me anymore. I don't have walls up anymore. The next thought. You can spend your life trying to forget your earthly failures. What was done to you. What hurt you. Who did it. Why they did it. Or you can spend your life remembering the Father. Here's the question. The question, if we can, can't forget, then how do we really know we have forgiven someone? How do you really know? Because typical Christianity is this way. Now what you need to do is just forgive them. I know she ran off with another man. Just need to forgive her. Pray this prayer. Father, I forgive him. Oh, okay, I forgive him. But in your mind, you're thinking, oh, God, I hope she gets what's coming. I'm going to take her to court. I'm going to clean her clock. I'm going to... Oh, I better not see the guy she ran off with because I'll take a Louisville slugger to both headlights. You suddenly start listening to Taylor Swift's songs. And she's your favorite artist because she hates everybody. (laughs) If you don't know my story, my first wife was killed by a drunk driver. And I had a $4.5 million lawsuit against him. uh, Because in some weird way, like only humans can do, they got together and figured out what my wife's life was worth and they came up with $4.5 million. They said, if your wife would have lived, she would have probably earned you $4.5 million and with pain and suffering, this is how much we think it's worth for you to cry it out. We're going to take the guy to court. We're going to take him for all he's worth. We're going to go for the jugular. As a matter of fact, we're going to federal court and not state court. Clap for you. We're going to win for sure. We've got the best judge on the docket that's in your favor. And so, as if the money would have solved the pain and suffering, but it sure did feel good. It sure did feel good to know the guy's going to go to jail and I'm going to get a doggone big paycheck. That kind of justifies it for me. Like, you're going to screw my life over. Good, I hope to screw yours over. Hope you rot for about 20 years while I spend your money. I didn't say that because I was a Christian. You don't say those things, you just think them. Right? Because you're too evil to say it, but you just think all those thoughts. 
So I was sitting in a red light. We, we've already done depositions. We've got everything ready to go. We're getting on the docket of Savannah court date. Sitting in a red light, I heard the Lord say, I want you to forgive the guy that killed your wife. I want you to drop the lawsuit and let him go. And I'm immediately like, get thee behind me, Satan. There's no way I will ever do that, ever. But I knew it to be God because I wouldn't have thought that on my own. And so I called my lawyer and I said, hey, I, uh, I said, I just, I just want to do something. He said, what do you want to do, Mark? I said, well, I just want to drop the lawsuit. I don't want to sue him for the $4.5 million. I don't want to take him to court. I don't want him to go to jail. I want to just let him go. I don't want anything but just whatever my insurance company will pay me for the accident. In the nicest way, a lawyer who's about to make a ton of money because he got 33% of whatever I made, so he would have been well into the millions himself, informed me of how stupid I was. Not in a mean way, just in a very smart way. You're doing the dumbest thing you've ever done because we're going to win this for sure. And I remember telling him, I know, but I just, I just don't want the money and I want to let him go. Now, at this moment of my life, logic and illogic are fighting each other. Logic says, I deserve it. He owes me. He should go to jail. He needs to pay me. It's the only way I'll be justified. Revenge. He needs to get what's coming. I suffered. He needs to suffer. But the side of the God side that drew me to the Father in the middle of the pain was, I want you to let him go. Don't take him to court. He owes you nothing. And that was one of the hardest phone calls I've ever made. And then that was May, June, July. That was I saw him later at college on campus at a football game, standing at the gate where my ticket is with two uh, six-packs of Bud Light in both hands. And I, I eyeball him and I see him and I'm standing there with a the ticket and I'm looking at him and I have really godly thoughts. Like I hope his bowels blow out of his hind end. <laughs> If I get close to him, I'm going to Judy chop him right in his jugular vein. Like, I, I'm not having any godly thought. There's nothing in me rising up Jesus. I have the devil in every cousin. Like, get him, get him, hurt him, hurt him, kill him, kill him, forehead punch him, break every bottle. I, I, I can't believe you let him go. Why did you let him go? Don't you know? Right? You should have never let him go. Look at him. He's never going to change. You should have made him change. I mean, just all of that. And I remember having a conversation with God, looking at him very angry, thinking, I thought I forgave him because I didn't take him to court. I mean, I, I, I forgave the whole lawsuit. Isn't that forgiveness? If I forgave him, then why am I having all these terrible thoughts toward the guy? Why is he still in my head? Have you ever got something stuck in your head, a person? I can't get the preacher out of my head. I can't get the ex-lover out of my head. I can't get what my husband did to me out of my head. Ah! The thoughts just keep coming. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? What? Remember, 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 because you'll never forget. And I remember having a conversation with God. I'm like, God, I thought I forgave him. If I forgave him, why do I have all these angry, ah, I just want to kill him thoughts? And in that moment, I got a revelation of what I'm sharing with you this morning. I pray you listen to it, and I pray it helps you. Because I learned a life lesson about truth that I was very skeptical about on the power of forgiveness. Because until that point, forgiveness was, I forgive them. But in my heart, I still hoped, in some weird way, they would always get what was coming to them. And then if you ask me, did you forgive him? I'd always say, yeah, I forgave him, of course, because I want God to forgive me. I'm not about to go to hell for them, but I did forgive him. But I don't want to see him. I don't want to hear him. I don't want to think about him. I really don't care what happens to him. Good luck. That's kind of Christian forgiveness 101 today. I forgive them so that I don't go to hell, but I don't care anything about them. They could get worms for all I care, and I'd be happy, but I do forgive them. So I'm having that with this guy in my heart with God. And I landed on this scripture. And I had Ryan read it to you today. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, there's the truth, I say. Not what you think, not what you feel. Jesus is drawing us back to the plumb line. The plumb line is, I say, love your enemies, and then... In a weird way, he doesn't stop there with it only being an emotional thing. He tags the next sentence, it must be applicable and applicable. Yeah. 
not only emotional. Now I'm spinning in my brain because I have zero desire to have an applicable, applicable thing toward anybody that's ever done me wrong. I want to have my emotional moment of forgiveness and then I want to put all my walls up and I want to protect myself and I want to move on with life. And I want to live dysfunctionally in love with God because I don't trust anybody, any preacher, any woman, any friend, or any person. I just want me and God in my little bubble doing life. And maybe somebody I fall in love with, I'll let them crack the glass and get in and say hello occasionally. And Jesus says, well, I just need to know if you'll be willing to listen. I'll I'll teach you how to do good to the people who hate you. Do good to them? Like you really think I'm going to go over and mow the dude's grass? Hey, I just won't come over because I love Jesus so much. I just want to know you killed my wife. I just want you to know how much I love you for doing that. She's kind of terrible anyway. But I do want to thank you for doing that. And I want to cut your grass. That's how much I'm a Christian. What are you talking about? I'm not going to wash the dude's car. I'm not going to go pick up some more Bud Light for him. I'm not do any. I don't want to do a dad blame thing good for him. I want to forgive him and move on. And Jesus is like, okay, well, but will you listen to me? You're going to have to do good to the people that hate you. So here's point one. I only have three. They're quick. I'll get you out, I promise. First off, to find freedom to forgive people, are you willing to listen to truth? Because oftentimes what we're listening to is our hurts, feelings, emotions, sorrows, pity parties, And it's just hard to hear anything Jesus says. Because the moment you say, hey, I think you ought to, we throw back, oh, you have no idea what I've been through and what they did to me and what they said to me. If you had half a notion of what they have done, you would probably understand why I am the way I am. So I just start here. It's not about a preacher dumping truth on you and trying to preach a good sermon I just need to start here. Are you willing to hear what Jesus will tell you? And it's going to sting. It doesn't feel good. I don't even feel like Jesus is on my team. I want the Jesus with fire coming out of his eyes. I want the Jesus that can blow their bowels open with a lightning bolt from his finger kind of Jesus. I don't want the compassionate Jesus. I want the table flipping Jesus. I want Jesus to go flip his car over. Right? But if you really want to find freedom, I just want to ask at the top of 2021, would you be willing to listen to what he would say to find freedom? Or do you still want to stay in your habits, your excuses, your bricks and your walls and your feelings and keep staying dysfunctional, never finding true freedom, always putting on the fire jacket to hide who you really are because you're too hurt to be who God wants you to be? Because somebody's always the problem. Or would you be willing to step in 2021 and say, Today I'll forgive everybody that's ever hurt me, abandoned me, used me, abused me, neglected me, and I'm going to move on with my life and take my fire jacket off and become everything God wants me to be. It's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. But I'll teach you how to do it in two easy steps. Here's the first one. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who use you and hurt you. If you really want to know if you've forgiven someone, the answer is simple. Can you bless them? Because if you can't bless them, you've not forgiven them. And it's very hard to look at the man that raped you as a child and go, Father, bless them. I want to tell God to curse them, not bless my abuser. I don't want to ask God to bless my husband who left me for another woman. Are you kidding me? Then I have to go back to point one. Well, are you willing to listen? Because it doesn't feel good. Because see, at the moment I bless that person, I relinquish the control I've had over him with hurt and anger and revenge. I control them with my anger. I can control them by not blessing them. Because if I can keep my hands around their neck and choke the life out of them with my hurt, then I'll serve God. I raise a hallelujah Ah! in the presence of my enemies. Ah! 
That's how a lot of people do. And we're wondering, why don't I find freedom? Why is my marriage not good? Why is my intimate level not good? Why do I hate church? Why don't I like church people? Why don't I trust preachers? Because if you've never blessed the people that hurt you, you never find freedom. You have to bless them. And that's so illogical. To bless the person that killed my wife? Are you kidding a brother? And Jesus is like, well, no, I'm not kidding. I just need to know if you're willing to listen. I'll leave it with you. And so Mark Evans had to come to the second point. Will you pray for them? Oh, God, I don't even want them in my head. It's almost like I was birthing a kid. Pray for him. Oh, God, okay, what do I pray? Okay, I'm good. Pray good thoughts, okay. And Jesus says, you have to bless him. Okay. All right. Okay, I forgive him. Got that. But to forgive, I've got to bless him, pray for him. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Then the answer is, you've never forgiven them. Because to forgive is to bless. And it's humanly illogical. And the reason God won't let you forget the pain is he's trying to move you to the power of the blessing. He's trying to move you into his realm of dealing with life rather than your realm of dealing with life. I will only tell you this. You don't have to believe like me. You don't even have to do this. I'm just sharing what I've lived and experienced. I forgave the guy. I asked God to bless him. I asked God to shine down grace upon him. I asked God to keep his life safe. Here's the weirdest prayer. It was hard to pray. I said, God, it still, it still touches me. God, if he ever gets married, I pray you don't let anybody ever kill his wife. And I pray his children never have to go through any pain like that. And that's not an easy prayer to pray. Because I want him to get what's coming to him. But when you obey and listen to Jesus against logic and you just say, God, would you bless them? My daddy abused me, hurt me, did all kind of vile things to me. My husband left me for another woman. My mother left me. My, my parents abandoned me. My teacher embarrassed me. My best friend stabbed me in the back. God, oh Jesus, I forgive them. And would you... Just bless my dad. Would you not hold that against him? I forgive him. He owes me nothing. Would you have the compassion on him that you've had on me? Would you pour the grace on him that you poured on me? Would you overlook his faults as you overlook mine? Would you put his sin and rejections on the back of Jesus as you did mine? Because that's what I pray. And when Mark Evans, in the weirdest of way, decided that that was true forgiveness... I, I wish I could tell you that I immediately found this whoo. But I didn't find the whoo. I just did it because the truth of the plumb line told me to do it. But I'm here today, 31 years later. Oh my God. I would not go back and get $4.5 million if you gave it to me tomorrow because I found peace, I found joy, I found happiness, I found contentment. I'm not a bitter, sorry, mean, naggy old man. I, by listening to God, got rid of the hurt and the pain and the rejection and the abandonment, chose to trust my heavenly Father, took the person that hurt me. I turned to the Father and said, I forgive them. And because I forgive that person, I ask you to bless them and pour out grace and pour out compassion and pour out mercy on their life and see them the way you see me. I was a sorry, no good, washed up, evil person and you forgave me. So would you take that sorry, no good, evil person and would you pour the same compassion on them as you poured toward me? When you pray that, there will come a life of freedom. 
It may be an ex-husband you have to let go of, a pastor, a wife, a friend, a father, an uncle. But the moment you pray it, it releases a freedom over your life and you find a peace like you've never known. Suddenly I don't need the pill and the alcohol and the weed. I don't need the porn anymore. I don't need another brick in my wall. I found freedom. And it's weird. I know it sounds weird. That's why it's called the truce of a skeptic because what idiot would ever bless someone who hurt them? You would have to be a dummy. But that's the Bible. I'm going to ask the leaders to come and pass out a card. Here's the card that they're passing out to you. It says, faith for my freedom. Now, I'm not going to force this on you. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do it for me. But I'm asking you, would you just listen to what I've shared today? And maybe there's someone in your life that's hurt you, neglected you, abused you, abandoned you, brought sorrow and pain to your life. A father, a mother, a lover, a friend, a pastor, an elder, a kid. But if you'll look up on the screen, I'll read through it, and then you're all getting a card. So the card's the same thing, but kind of like just like the eyes to look toward the screen. We're all kind of checking together. I wrote this out because I've, in my own way, I try to live this out. I'm not saying I'm always perfect with it. I, sometimes I struggle to get through it, but I try to do it. And, and right now, if I'm honest with most of my life, I can't think of anybody that I feel like could fit in a category that I've not done this for. Here's the decision you have to make. Remember, Jesus said if. So it's your decision. I gave you a checkbox. And we're going to take these cards and we're going to end with communion. Here's the first thing. It's a prayer. A decision. I forgive anyone that's ever wronged me. They don't owe me anything. I totally forgive them and hold nothing against them. I take my hands off their neck and release them freely to God's mercy and grace. As I have been released and forgiven, so I shall do in return. Are you willing to listen to that as a decision? Or do you want to hang on to the walls and put another brick up this year? Put some more mortar in your cracks this year? Keep more people at bay? Trust less people? Be the smart you? Or would you be willing to start the year to just listen to Jesus? Can you love your enemy, bless them, and pray for them? If you do, you'll find freedom. Truly, I, I want to say I promise. Not I'm promising, but, but I promise that the word is true. The second one is a little tougher. It's going to require something out of you. It's a prayer, a blessing, a prayer of blessing. It takes a little bit of spot on this one because you're going to have to write the name of the person that hurt you. Now, I don't need their full name. I'm not even going to take the cards. They're yours to keep. You don't need to post them on social media. Maybe they just need to go in a drawer to remind you. Maybe they need to go in your Bible. That's okay. But you're going to have to have the spot to write the name of that person. First name, last name, whatever. And here's what the blessing is. Lord, I bless blank. Who has wronged me? Let the favor of your mercy and the grace abound upon their life. Hold not their wrong against them. Allow your goodness to overshadow their life and grant them your forgiveness as I have forgiven them. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And here's the promise. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I don't know if you brought that person into 2021. My heart would be that you would let them go and not take them into 2021 with you. That you wouldn't take the pain and the hurt anymore. You would stop building your bricks and walls. You would take the fire coat off. You would forgive whoever it is. You would pray this prayer of a decision and you would make that blessing. Now, I'm going to just let maybe about a minute of time pass and let you pray over that. I want you to do it because God gives you a revelation to do it. If you feel like you're stirred, check the both boxes, fill in the name.
one more thing before we start with communion. Would you look at the TV again? Just stare at the big TV or the small thing on the side. If Jesus was holding this card for you and you're the one that did him wrong, would you want him to check both boxes and put your name in it, yes or no? I think most humans would say, I would hope he would check both boxes and say, I forgive Mark who's wronged me. Mark doesn't owe me anything. I totally forgive Mark and hold nothing against Mark. I take my hands off Mark's neck and release Mark freely to my Father's mercy and grace. As I was released at resurrection and forgiven, so I shall do in return. God offers me forgiveness. And then I would love him to say, Father, I bless Mark who has wronged me. You see, it's, it's a little different when we put the card in Jesus' hand and ask him to do for me if I'm not willing to do for another. So with the card in your hand, I'm going to ask if you would stand up. Michael is going to lead us in a worship tune for communion. The way we're going to end today is this way. Uh, we'll have our prayer team up front to pray with you. I'll be up here to pray. I don't want to force anything on you. Like I just highly, highly, highly encourage you take a step of faith today. It's well worth it. Now, with the card in your hand, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to pray a prayer over our communion today and our giving. When I say amen, I just want you to slip out, come and partake communion. But I'd love you to have that card if you filled it out in your hand. And as you take communion, I want you to take communion for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ over you. And then that God will forgive the person that's wronged you and hurt you. And then maybe on your way back to your seat, you would... Take just a moment before you leave and read the prayer and the decision one more time. Keep the card. Pray over it all year. Every time the pain tries to resurface, remind your enemy, the devil, that you have chosen to bless them. I know it sounds weird. I know it doesn't make sense in the natural. But it's a truth of a skeptic. And when you grab a hold of it, it is life-giving. I've lived it, and I can promise it's life-giving. So, Heavenly Father, today, with these cards in our hand, God, with all the junk we all could have, people that have hurt us, said things about us, gossiped, used us, left us, we hold these cards in our hand, and then the honesty is, we've all done that to you. We've abandoned you, left you, lied to you, did you wrong, snubbed you. So God, as you have forgiven us, we hold these cards today and we forgive those that have wronged us. We prayed this prayer of blessing over them. We let them go to your care now. We let this off. We take our hands off their neck. And as we partake of communion today, I pray we would find the peace, the joy, and the uh, security found in God. We would take off the jackets and the things we're hiding behind and we would live our most full life this year with no excuses and no walls and no intimidation. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you. You may come. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 